But he, I remember he literally took out his knife in a tent and carved her initials into his arm. No. Yeah, like blood dripping down to the tent floor. And that, you know, that was sort of how he saw the world. Going away, I'm going away, I'm going away from home. I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going This is the Summer Camp Chronicles, a podcast where one camp old-timer, one young camp professional, and some very special guests share their revealing camp stories and explore what makes summer camp uniquely special to so many people. So no one gets confused with my turtle for my brother, teach him how to feed my snakes, make sure that my grandmother knows where to send the cup. Welcome back to the Summer Camp Chronicles. I'm Ben. Hey, and I'm Eric. That was an interesting second episode, Eric. It was. Yeah, I had a lot of fun uh, talking about the summer of 86. It seems like a long time ago. I guess it was. For me, you know, it's <laughs> funny because now that we're doing this together, it doesn't. It's all like coming back. Yeah, it's coming back, you know, big time. But 86 was a long time ago. Well, hang on, let's do the math. What is it, 24 years ago? No, I think it's 34, Ben. 34. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a camp professional and a math teacher. So. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Like, you know, we, we, we thought about like having themes for each of these episodes and we kind of decided against that. But I think what came up last time was really this friendship thing. Why the connection with John was so mind-blowing for me. It sound, it's, it is really cool, and it's something that I was really fascinated about. And I'm really keen to hear about like how that evolved as yeah. you've gotten older, because people change. Like right. From being 11 years old to 12 to 13, I'm sure you changed. Yeah. I mean, the, the big change really happened because we added a third wheel to this okay. dynamic. So like John and I had a, had a certain thing in 86 that the whole thing of like him throwing my cleats into the <laughs> tree and like spitting in your mouth. Yeah, exactly. Spitting, yeah, right. Spitting, <laughs> wrestling me. And it feels to me like that was kind of like a childish yeah, relationship. Yeah. And then we introduced this other character and it really changed things. So I'll tell you how that started. John had been a camp before I was, so he knew other kids outside his cabin in mm-hmm. a way that I didn't. And about halfway through my first summer there, we were at a soccer class with, another bunk of boys our age and i didn't know them but you know john had been in some of their cabins previously and he introduced me to this kid named and was in every way um really different from john um same age though same age okay. yeah yeah but you know john like i hope you guys you know you figured out from my description like he was an open book you know he was yeah. like really warm really affectionate was a mysterious dark guy and he wore like camouflage army gear and he had <laughs> floppy haircut like a bowl haircut and the, so the first time i met him he was like oh we should push back back to camp so like the soccer field at whitman is like really 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 far from the yeah. main campus yeah. like absurdly far like you go to soccer it's like a 15 minute walk up oh to my soccer. gosh and so when the period ended you're supposed to like go back to camp with your counselors yeah. and then there's free time before lunch and you know, was this new person in my life who was just like, let's do this thing. And of course, John was like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> and so we kind of like ducked off, you know, the, everyone's like heading back down yeah. the, the, the actual path in camp. And we just like disappear into the woods and um, try to use our sense of direction. Yep. Which was, it turns out to be really lacking <laughs> to just kind of like go through the woods of the White Mountains in New Hampshire and end up back where we're supposed to be. Well, I mean, I'm here today. <laughs> That's true. So, in a sense, it worked, but we got terribly lost. Um, and we actually missed about three quarters of lunch that day. No. And, you know, you've been a camp counselor. When your kids don't show up for a meal, Ugh. 
deep shit. No, yeah, it's not yeah, great. No. Like the director walks by your your cabin, your your table, and if there's kids missing, that's not, that's not so good. Uh, so I I mean, from my perspective, like we were walking around in circles in the woods or whatever and didn't really know which direction was which anymore what saved us was the actual bugle call for lunch oh you know we could we they would they this is kind of old-fashioned camp and they would actually blow like tape cassette recordings of bugle calls to let you know that it was like flag raising or yeah. you know or reveille or you know taps or whatever so there was a lunch call and that saved us because we were like oh my god like we're going the wrong direction the dining halls kind of the over there um but I guess what was happening in camp was they were like, holy shit, like you've lost, your, yeah, you've lost some campers. <laughs> um, so we got in trouble, uh, but we made it. And, you know, that that was like a really, I think, telling introduction to because he had this um, he had this irresistible magnetism to him yeah. that drew people into his world. And his world was primarily one of like scheming and and doing things that we weren't supposed to do. Yeah. And so that became that became kind of my existence for the next few years of camp. I would say 87, 88, 89 to some extent. Those were my senior camp years and my counseling and training year. So was the root of this uh, nature of more out of curiosity or mischief or, or both? You know, I don't know. I mean, like I said, he, he could draw people to himself and I was just included in that. You know, he, yeah. was, he was like one of these people who was really, really passionate. And I think, you know, that's what makes people interesting to us, yeah. right? He had this intensity and whatever he had his attention on was like the most important thing in the world. And so if you were in his inner circle, that felt good yeah. because you were like, knew you were there. If you were not, he was completely oblivious to your yeah. existence. Everything was very black and white with him. He was either madly in love with something or he hated it with a vengeful yeah. rage. Yeah. And that's, that's true for people too. So I think it did feel good to be like in, in. the inner circle. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that mixed with John and yourself, it sounds like a pretty interesting trio. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, to, to shed more light on, like I'll give you an example. He, so John and both started dating in like 87, yeah. right around that time. And, and I was, just, I was a late bloomer, so I didn't. Um, but um, was dating a, a girl named Casey and uh, her, her name was like the initials Casey. Oh, okay. Like, um, yep. And, we were a year older than she was. All of our friends, all of our friends who were girls were a year younger than us. So they were still in main camp. We were senior camp. We went on a five-day trip as part of being senior campers. And for it was like, you know, he was just so, like he burned so hot that three days into the trip, he just missed Casey so, you know, bad. so badly. Yeah. You know, this was like a, this was like an adolescent, you know, nothing Crush. really. Crush. Yeah, hold hands, <laughs> maybe kiss, you know. But he, I remember he literally took out his knife in a tent in Quebec City um, and carved her initials into his arm. No. Yeah, like blood dripping down to the to the tent you know, to the tent floor, um, and that you know that was sort of how he saw the world. That would have absolutely scared me away. Having a friend like put a knife to his arm and do something crazy like that. But you know, at the same time, he was he was incredibly witty. He would write poems on the spot. We were dishwashers one summer, and. He first explained to us who Sisyphus was, which was like, you know, Sisyphus. I don't know. So it's like a, it's like one of the Greek mythology tales about one of the gods made Zeus angry, and okay. he was condemned to roll a boulder up a mountain for the rest of his life. Yeah, his entire life was rolling the, the boulder up, and then it would just roll back down to the yep. bottom. And when we were dishwashers, that was like that was what it felt like. You know, like no matter how many dishes you did, they just kept coming, yep. Yep. You know, coming and coming and coming. So, like off the top of his head, like wrote this poem called Dishyphus. Where, you know, it was like, you know, the, the dishes keep coming back. 
dirty. You know, it's like, and we, cool. and we just thought he was like the coolest yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. you know? And well, after getting to know about John a lot and what you guys were like is, you know, 11, 12 year olds, you know, three's a crowd. What was it like with this new personality and, and the three of you, you know, getting along? Yeah, it, it, it worked somehow really, really well. We actually called ourselves the Three Musketeers, uh, which is weird to like give yourself a nickname like yeah. that. Uh, and we were very exclusive. Like we just lost interest in everybody else, except for girls. Like we were, you know, yeah. they had their thing going with with the girls. But um, in terms of like actually being open or inviting or interested in making friends with other people, like it just wasn't. No, it didn't, it didn't matter to us. Yeah, uh, to the point where we were warned by the the staff members and by the directors that that wasn't campy, like that wasn't appropriate no. in the camp setting. But we essentially just didn't go to activities. We we just spent those two summers doing things together that we shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. Um, like when we went on that trip to Quebec, we you know we bought like throwing knives and and Chinese stars. And <laughs> it's like looking back, it's so stupid. Like yeah, you know, they, they, I'm not proud of it, but like in the moment, it was just it was a way to be um, to be bad without you know doing anything really. Yeah. Yeah. damaging right so instead of going to activities we would have these spots out in the woods where we built and hung targets on the trees and we would practice our knife, knife throwing that's right? pretty cool <laughs> yeah it was actually it was pretty fun um we also i have to admit a, a pretty bad one so the camp had what's called the counselor kitchen yep and because uh, it's in the middle of nowhere counselors can go out at night when they're off duty but they the camp gave them an opportunity to stay in camp and and do you know just, just have hang out. yeah hang out like how there was they had hired a chef who cooked you know short order like burgers and oh that's really grilled cool. cheese and stuff for them and so there was a building in camp that was called counselor's kitchen it was completely off limits to kids of course because it was you know it had a locked kitchen full of candy bars yeah. soda and you know oh like, that's just the most alluring invitation yeah yeah <laughs> i mean you, yeah, you totally got it so like when you're 13 and 14 yeah. and not interested in actually like going to art or behaving yeah or behaving <laughs> right um and again like this is something i never ever would have done but you know was was like so into um it was like being on the a-team like half the fun of it was planning yeah you know he would draw maps yeah and here's how we're going to get in and here's how we're going to break the lock and then so we did we spent like a significant part of that summer taking screwdrivers and like removing hasps from locks, nice. you know, from locked buildings, climbing up and over, you know, walls, like into ceiling. No Yeah, way. like drop ceiling, That's you cool. know, areas to drop down into the kitchen. And when I say we, I did none of this. <laughs> like my role was the lookout because yeah. I was just nervous. So yeah. I was like, all right, I'll come. And then like, I was just like, Eric, you stand on the road and look out. And then, you know, John was sort of like the physical one who did all the stuff and would plan it all. Yeah. Um, and so we we walked away, you know, on a weekly basis with like a huge stash of, of soda and candy. And it wasn't enough just to have it. Like part of the fun was that like, well, what are we going to do with it? So we had other maps to uh, designated hiding spots in the woods yeah. at camp. So like one of the things we would do instead of go to activities is just go to our spot and eat. Eat candy. Like, yeah, eat candy. Um, and then of course the soda, you didn't want it to be hot. No. So the soda we had attached to long rope and no. submerged in the lake so <laughs> you know good. like what are we doing now oh, we're gonna get our soda like so we go and we, like we pull it in out of the lake and you know there's a cold lake in the river yeah. so it would stay cold and um so again i'm not proud like i understand that stealing and um had my directors known that i i don't know what would happen yeah did you know. ever get caught no never got caught for that so did become 
more of a negative influence? It sounds like there, there was a great friendship there, but did he transform you into someone that you're not proud of? It's interesting because I think that my telling of the story is colored by right. things that happen later. Yeah. So in the moment, you know, if I'm really talking about how I felt in 87, 88, you know, as a friend, I was like just super excited to be with these in two all. friends. Yeah. yeah I mean, we, like. we were inseparable. We, we just had so much fun together and, and he was fun and funny and interesting. And I, I do think that it was a very positive friendship and relationship and the way that it manifested at camp was Yes, totally. Was, they, they both led me to do things that I that I am not that proud of and that I wouldn't have done elsewhere, for sure. Right, that makes sense. But do you think this all happened because you were at camp? Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, friends from camp. You came to camp later in life, mm-hmm. uh, and you mentioned that uh, that saying goodbye that first summer was really hard for you. What's it like now? I mean, you, you're like uh, kind of in the camp world because you work for us year-round but you still have the kids you grew up with and people back in Australia and family. And so how's camp fit in for you? It's weird how you mentioned the people back back home because you, you touched on it earlier as well, is that the people that aren't in your camp world don't know the person you are at camp. Um, so after my first summer, I almost felt like a stranger to those people. And I think they felt like strangers to me as well because... Um, I feel like I'm the best version of myself at camp. And so the connections I made with people mean so much to me because I'm being so true to myself and I don't keep in touch with absolutely everyone from my first summer, but it's one of those things where we could go four years without seeing one another. And then the moment we catch up for a beer, it's like nothing's changed, but um, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. Those people who don't know who you are at camp and who don't know what camp is about, particularly because, you know, Australia is far from here. So it's not even like, oh, it's another Northeasterner who, because sometimes people, I meet people who are like, oh, I never got a chance to go to camp. But, yeah. You know, I always wish I did. For your friends, it might be literally a foreign experience. So I'm wondering, like, do you try to explain it to them and they don't get it or you don't even, <laughs> you can't even try? It's so frustrating because it's, I think the hardest thing is trying to explain it to people and getting them, I like, I initially wanted them to get it as much as what I did and they didn't. And it was so frustrating and heartbreaking. So I just gave up. I just don't bring up camp anymore yeah. with, with those people. It's the epitome of you had to be there. Yes. And which sound makes us sound like assholes because right. it's like that one time at camp. Oh, I've got this one story at camp. Right. right. I hate it. Well, that's sort of like our entire podcast, isn't it? Yeah. This one time at camp. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, we're hopefully sharing it with people that, um, that have been to camp before or want to come to camp and we're giving them reasons why. But yeah, going back to those people that, um, and a little bit of it comes from like a, just a lack of understanding. Like people that I describe it to back in Australia, they look at me like with zero comprehension of what it looks like, how it can even be a job, what it, how it runs. So in that sense, I wish I could share it with them. And then in, in another sense, I'm so selfish and I'm like, I don't want to share camp with anyone else because yeah. it's my thing. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting phenomenon to talk about. So I was at this camp from ages uh, 11 to 24, and there were a lot of opportunities to to recommend it to other people. <laughs> you know, yeah. like like I lived in a community <laughs> full of kids who could afford to go to summer camp, and then I went to college with a lot of really smart, talented people who liked working with kids. And in in my entire tenure there, I recommended it to one person, and he ended up not taking the job. Yeah. But you know, there's like this protectiveness. You yeah. know, like I think because of what we talked about, because I could be a different version of myself there and because my friendships there were so 
unique and and otherworldly yeah you know i i didn't want to share it yeah and i think that's you know that's a fascinating thing in fact my <laughs> this is I'll never forgive my mother for lots of stuff. Um, talk about another podcast. But one of the things that I bring up and I think about a lot is that she told another parent in my hometown Oof. about my about the camp I went to. You know, she was like, whatever, standing outside the school and uh, some mom was like, oh, I'm looking for a camp for my kid. And my mom said, oh, my, my son goes to Walt Whitman. You, yeah. should, you should check it out. So this kid, Gary, came to my camp. Um, Gary. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, and I... I was so pissed. Yeah. And to be perfectly frank, I was brutal to him. I, I was I was cruel. <laughs> like this was right in the peak of my three musketeer phase. So yeah. I, I had two best friends. We were inseparable. And I knew that everyone knew that this kid Gary came from my town. And, right. and I and I wanted to be like so distanced from him. Yeah. I didn't I was so embarrassed by like anything he did yeah. that I wanted to make it really clear that he wasn't my guy. <laughs> That I was, just, I just shat on him all summer long. It was, it was terrible. Like yeah. ig- ignoring cruel, or like, yeah, wish we shouldn't get into it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of ignoring, mm-hmm. you know. Or, or if he did something that you know that that wasn't really cool, I certainly wasn't the first to defend him. Let's put it that right. way. You know, I mean, we've all been there. Like kid, kids are kids, and yeah. it goes back to like, like while we started this conversation, like Whitman was like your place, and if he almost felt like an imposter, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's I do a, remember a good one though. I was in senior camp and my friends John and were with me all the time and we were in the same bunk and Gary came that year and uh, I remember going down to his cabin once and he was inside and we took a broomstick and we locked him in his cabin. You know, we like, Ooh. we like jimmied the broomstick yeah. into the door handle. <laughs> like it was, so it was like a door he had to push to yeah. open. Yeah. He couldn't push it open because the, the broom handle was wedged. Sort of wet. Exactly. Yeah. So wedge in there. And, um, Again, like no mercy and, and no, like I'm not proud of this, but you know, so he's in the cab and he still like, he gets more and more panicked, you know, cause we're just like outside giggling and he's freaking out yeah, cause he's scary. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's not, there was nothing like, there was not like a bear in there with no, him or anything, but no. he was, you know, he really wanted to come yeah. out and we really wanted to keep him in there. And so eventually he just, you know, backs up picture like, you know, as far as you can get in the cabin, he backs up with, you know, back to the, to the opposite wall, runs full speed and then, like, kamikaze, like, kicks the door. Charges it down. Yeah, charges it, like, foot first. You know, throws his body against it foot first. And we're outside looking at this. And we hear this, you know, enormous bang. And all of a sudden, like, in slow motion, the entire door and the frame. Oh, no. And all the, like, the molding, you know, all the finish work around the door just go. And then crash outside onto the porch. Oh. <laughs> like, the whole, like, you know, piece of the and front of the building. And he's just standing there. Like, yeah, yeah, just, fuck. like, falls off, basically. <laughs> And uh, and then when the counselors, you know, by the way, like where are the counselors this whole? Yeah, time? I was about to ask. Yes, yeah, I mean this is like you know, there's a half hour period of time yeah. where I cannot account for the adults in the camp. That's hilarious. Like I'm, I'm interested to ask Sam or, or anyone, like wh- where were the staff members when shit like this is happening? Yeah. As a matter of fact, this did come up in our conversation with my counselor Sam. Actually, I want to tell a story about that summer. One of the thing I remember from that summer, walking down. And noticing that the door to one of the cabins had been knocked off. Okay. Yeah. So, and I'm like, and you know, and remember, so I'm now, so this is 87. So I'm now 19 years old. And so like, I'm supposed to deal with this. Um, And the door to one of the cabins. And so I get down there and there's three boys who are sitting there. And I was like, guys, 
what happened? And they're like, you're not going to believe this. Godzilla came and knocked the door <laughs> off. And I was like, really? And they said, look at the footprint. And these kids, I don't know, well, I don't know how they, you, Eric, knocked the door <laughs> off. But you guys had made a Godzilla footprint outside the door to get ready for this door knock being off being discovered. And it was, of course, you, John, and who had done this. Do you remember this? Not only do I remember this, but um, Ben got here at about nine o'clock this morning. So we had half an hour before your, our talk with you. And I, we were, I don't know, we were talking about, oh, we were talking about um, this protectiveness that, that we feel about camp. Like in all my years of camp, I never invited anyone to come to Whitman with me or to work there with me. It was my place. And it was, and I did it. And it, was, I, it didn't go well either time. Right. Well, yeah. So like, so, and then, and then that brought up the fact that my mom spilled the beans once and this kid came to Whitman and it was first to senior camp and I was really pissed that he was there and I was terrible to him. And one of the things that I did to him was I jammed a, a broomstick into a door handle and trapped him inside the, the cabin for a long period of time. And the only way that he got out was by running and kicking the door so hard that the entire door and its frame fell off the building. Um, and it was interesting, Sam, because what, what Ben asked me naturally was, where were the counselors when all this was happening? <laughs> Does Sam know the reason why the door frame and the door was... I, I, learned, I literally learned that just now. <laughs> now you know. That was us being mean to Gary and locking him in the cabin. And then we're like, oh, shit, that looks bad. We're going to be in really big trouble. Let's, let's pretend... Let's be... I mean, you know, we didn't think you were dumb enough to, to think it was Godzilla, but we were having fun with it. But, I, but, I, but now what Ben wants to know is in the, in the 15 to 20 minutes that he was trapped in the cabin, yelling, calling for help, banging on the door, and then eventually knocking it down. Um, tell us about camp in 1987. Like, where might the counselors have been? Well, it, like, in senior camp, you guys had lots of free time. So, it, you know, depending on what time it was, the idea that you could have some kids around, and there was somebody up in the, um, there was somebody, you know, there's always somebody around in the, the director's shack so that you could go get somebody. Um, you are correct that this doesn't allow for the problem of the person who needs help <laughs> needing help because he is not able to get to the cabin. <laughs> right. And, nobody, and by definition, nobody is going to help him. But that doesn't strike me as all that odd because no. there was always somebody available, but you would have had to go to the director's cabin, which is 150 feet away yeah. to get that person. And it's just sort of an odd little scene where the person who needed help needed help because he'd been locked in the cabin. And what's not clear from the story, nor in my memory, is like, what happened to Gary after he got out? <laughs> Where did he go? He clearly, didn't, he clearly never told you or the other staff what had happened. You know, we must have just like intimidated him into silence. Like, you're like, Gary, you broke the door. We're going to tell on you if you ever mention this again. And, and like, for all I know, yeah, he never did. Eric, I hope you're proud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm definitely not. This is all part of like me figuring out who I was and I like that kind of thing is it could not be further from something I might've done at home. You know, like I was never ever in trouble at school and I would never like imagine doing something like that. But it was like something about being in this place with John and where they were like, you know, they, they, I think the dynamic was basically like come up with a really bad, dangerous, illegal, nefarious idea you know, like in his brooding kind of way. And John would be like, yeah, that sounds great. And John was just like, always like game branding. And then I would go, oh God, okay. I'm like, I'm not really brave enough to stand up for myself and say no. So like, I was just kind of like nearby 
participating. <laughs> that, um, that's a pretty good description of the three at that time, actually. Sam is so good to listen to, and I really love hearing his perspective because I'm hearing everything coming from you. Right. And I thought it was so cool to get that Sam slash counselor perspective on the three of you. Yeah. And and I feel good because I wasn't lying. I mean, he pretty much. I mean, he remembered <laughs> he the story on. kind yeah. of the same way. He didn't know he didn't know why we did it, but None. he remembered a lot of the same stuff and, and kind of remembered the three of us in a similar kind of way to how I remember us. Yeah, yeah. So I think I had to ask him about you know friendship and what he thought about it all. Yeah, yeah. So this is Sam's answer to uh, to a direct question, really, from you, Ben. Yeah. I mean, what is it that makes camp friendships so unique? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things I think. Um, one is that the people you see year over year feel the same way about you about the place. So they are ecstatic to be there and they look forward to it all year. So you have that shared experience mm-hmm. is one thing. But more importantly, you're in there in a frame of mind, which is that I am where I want to be, right? You know, somebody yeah. who's there for year two isn't there to try it out isn't they're there because they loved year one and so once you get to that second year of a relationship you are both you have that shared experience but you're also so positive about that experience that you naturally bond right that's and by the way i have have no expertise this is a this is a theory um but it makes sense to me that like you know you go there um because you want to be there and i think that makes a huge difference yeah Um, i also think I also think there's something specific about overnight camp, right? Like everything you just said, someone could listen to that and go, yeah, like I, that day camp describes that also, or, or like Disneyland, right? Like there are other places where we want to be, but I think there's this also this yeah. other piece of like, it's also, it's also very distinctly devoid of parents and, um, and, expectations and you know to some extent structure in it's structure in a bad way right like there's structure at camp but there's also just like it's the place where you can just like there's so much more free play kind of this stuff and time that you know that there, i think that that's part and parcel of it in some way i i also think that another big part of it is something you said is that it is fully immersive like um mm-hmm. i don't know which one of you said it but the camp versus the outside world right yeah. When you go to Disney World or you go to day camp or whatever, Disney World, okay, you're there for a week, but then you go back and you sleep in the hotel room with your family. Or you go to day camp, you come home to the same house you came home from school in in March. But at camp, it is, at overnight camp, it is fully immersive. This is your life. And these people who you're sharing living space with for seven weeks, eight weeks back when I started. Um, but, uh, you know, these people are... By definition, you, you know, like what do we say? You, you want to be there. Yeah. You know, it's fully immersive. You're all happy. You know, you're, you're, you're sharing the fact that you want to be mm. there. And that's life. Like it's camp life versus real life. On the next episode of the Summer Camp Chronicles, you'll hear a bit more about John, this time in his own words. I want to linger a little longer, a little longer here with you. The Summer Camp Chronicles is hosted by me, Eric Sassone, and by Ben Jerez. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. That will all help us share the Summer Camp Chronicles with more camp lovers like you. 
Follow us on Instagram at Summer Camp Chronicles or email us at summercampchronicles at gmail.com. Send us any comments, feedback, or parts of your camp story that you want to share with us. That includes you, Mrs. Obama. I know you're out there listening. We'd love to have you on the show, so email us. Our opening music is Going Away, and our closing song is Linger. Both songs are performed by Lisa Loeb, who was a huge fan of camp and generously allowed us to use her music in this podcast. These songs and a bunch of other great camp songs appear on her album, Camp Lisa. Proceeds from that album help send underprivileged kids to camp, so we hope you'll check it out. I want to linger a little longer here with you. Inside, this is good night and not goodbye.